The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So tonight I'd like to, to talk about using thought in our practice. This is not a topic we often think of, talk about in meditation classes. We normally talk about letting go of thoughts. But there is a place for skillful use of thought. Well, that's what I'd like to explore tonight. There's many different, there's many different approaches to this, so I'm going to just talk hope to talk about several of them and then to uh, if we have time I'm hoping to guide you in uh, in one of these ways of exploring thought in, in our practice so partly I want to talk about this because it is a, it's a very key topic for our, our daily life practice we engage in thinking in our daily lives and if we don't learn some skill with how to navigate thinking with mindfulness, there'll be large chunks of our day where we are not able to be mindful. And so how can we learn how to practice with thinking? There's one sutta that the Buddha um, offered that was apparently early in his meditation practice, or relatively early. And it was a time when he began to recognize that there were different kinds of thoughts that came up in his mind. He said some of these thoughts were unskillful. He said he could, he could put his thoughts on, in two, on two sides. Some of the thoughts were unskillful. They were motivated out of Greed, aversion, and delusion. They were motivated out of intentions of ill will, of non-renunciation, and of desire. And on the other side, he could put thoughts that were motivated out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. And he, he saw that when he was thinking about when the thoughts that were motivated by greed, aversion, or delusion were in his mind, that they tended towards either harm in himself or harm in others, that that's the direction they were headed. And so he decided he would try to abandon those kinds of thoughts, the thoughts that were motivated out of greed, aversion, and delusion. We can call these unskillful, unwholesome thoughts. On the other side, the wholesome thoughts, he said he saw that there wasn't a problem with these thoughts. Thoughts motivated out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, out of generosity, out of kindness, out of compassion, out of wisdom. He said something like, I could think these thoughts for a day and a night, or a day and a night, and no harm would come from them. So there's no problem with these thoughts. Then he did go on to reflect, however, though, that 
in the meditation itself that thinking tires the mind. And so perhaps in the process of meditation, it's a time to let go of even those wholesome thoughts. So he he looked at these two kinds of thoughts, the unwholesome and the wholesome, and he decided for himself, letting go of the unwholesome was the way to go. But that it's not a problem particularly to think wholesome thoughts. So he decided for himself that the thoughts weren't the problem. Essentially that the, the issue has to do with the motivation underlying the thought. And he has this great quote. I'll read it to you. It's one of my favorite quotes in the entire um, the entire Buddhist teachings. After he explored the fact that there were these two kinds of thoughts, he said, Whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. So this is also pointing to the fact that when particular kinds of thoughts take up residence in our mind, that's what we're practicing, that's what we're cultivating. So it's very helpful to kind of keep track of what kinds of thoughts are in our minds. So we begin to appreciate and understand what skillful thought is and what unskillful thought is. That's kind of a first pass around exploring a relationship to thinking. And then there is learning how to use skillful thought and when to let go of it. As the Buddha said in that teaching, that he saw that if he allowed these, even these wholesome thoughts to continue, it might tire his mind. And so at times it's time to even let go of those. So learning how to skillfully navigate using wholesome thoughts. In particular, I feel that this is a very interesting exploration around daily life practice. What is it? How can we use our thoughts skillfully? How can we use... A reflection skillfully. So reflection is essentially a kind of a thoughtfulness in our practice. It's a, a kind of an orientation in a sense towards bringing the the teachings, the understandings of the Dharma into our thoughts so that we can reflect on them, understand them. In his description of what wisdom is, the Buddha talked about three kinds of wisdom. He talked about the wisdom that comes from listening, from hearing what uh, wise teachers have to say, from listening to, um, to, 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 the, to, to wisdom teachings, to listening to the teachings of the Buddha. So that's one aspect of wisdom. Taking in information. Then the next aspect of wisdom, the second aspect of wisdom, is using your intelligence with that information. Does it make sense? How can I understand this? Do I see this teaching reflected in my experience? How can I understand this teaching in my experience? 
So this is a, a part of our practice actually recommended by the Buddha is to use reflection. We don't often talk about this. We usually just jump to the meditation, which is trying to let go of thinking. But there is a place for reflection. The third kind of wisdom is the wisdom that does come from the, um, the cultivation of our mind through the meditation. That after we have reflected, if we have understood, at least in terms of the teachings of the Buddha, the teachings of the Buddha aren't just intellectual teachings. They are teachings meant to be put into practice. And so um, we kind of have to do some kind of reflection most of us, at least, need to do some kind of reflection in order to even get to the place where we feel confident enough to move forward to put these teachings into action. But that is what it requires in order to understand and connect with a third kind of wisdom, which is the wisdom of insight, the wisdom of the, the mental cultivation, um, the wisdom of actually seeing in your own experience the truth of these teachings. So the second aspect of the wisdom of reflection, the wisdom of intelligence, is about learning how to use our intelligence skillfully. And in this practice, part of what that means is reflecting on some of the teachings. And one, um, one major teaching around the, uh, the path of practice has to do with understanding what leads us to suffering and what leads us away from suffering. Buddha offered a, a teaching on reflection to his son when his son was seven years old. And he uses this teaching around looking at whether what he is going to do or say will cause harm. So he suggested to his son, and this is, this is I'm going to just paraphrase this really briefly because it's quite an extensive sutta. He says, you know, before you do something or say something or even allow something to come into your mind, reflect on whether it will cause harm to yourself or another or both. If it will, then refrain from doing it. And then he went on to say, and while you're doing something, if you notice that it is causing harm in the act of doing it, so reflect while you're doing it. Is this causing harm? So this is where the reflection comes in. Is this causing harm? Essentially, is this leading to suffering for yourself or another or both? If you notice while doing an action, either at doing an action of body, of speech, or of mind, that it's causing harm, abandon that action. And then he goes on to say, and after you have acted, reflect back to think about whether this has caused harm. Did this action cause harm? If it did, refrain from such an action in the future. So that's in brief what he said to his son. Now this is a teaching that a seven-year-old can understand, but very challenging to put into practice, I find, especially the you know, reflecting on any action before I do it, while I'm doing it, after I've done it, every single action, that's a tall order. <laughs> 
But it does point to this aspect of reflection and the use of reflection. And so there's a couple of key pieces I'd like to point to in this teaching. And one is this aspect of reflecting, of learning from our experience. That as we reflect on our experience through the framework, essentially, in this case, through the framework of harming or non-harming, and this is just one framework that we could reflect through, as we reflect through this framework, we begin to see how we perhaps could have acted differently or maybe should have acted differently. So we can learn from our actions and the consequences of those actions. It's a way, essentially, of becoming our own teacher using this reflective practice. We look at our actions and see what are the consequences of our actions. And as we do that, we gain in wisdom. We begin to understand through repeatedly looking back what did cause harm. You know, even if we thought as going into, a, going into an action, oh, this is okay, this, is, this seems okay. But if in having the action unfold, you see that harm is caused, then it's time to think back and learn. Look at what was it that you didn't understand. There's a really beautiful and poignant story about this. This is a story from one of um, the country's uh, environmentalists. His name is David Brower. He founded the John Muir Institute and Friends of the Earth. And he tells this story. I'll just read this. At the age of 11, he collected some eggs of the western swallowtail butterfly and kept an eye on them as they hatched into caterpillars, which later turned into chrysalides. Finally, the first of the chrysalides began to crack open, and what Brower saw was this. The emerging butterfly struggled out, its abdomen distended by some sort of fluid that was pumped over its wings as it hung upside down on a twig. Half an hour later, it was ready to fly and took off. As the other chrysalides began to crack, however, Brower decided to make himself useful. He gently eased open the crack to facilitate the butterfly's emergence, and they promptly slid out, walked around, and one by one dropped dead. He had failed to realize that the exertions he had spared the butterflies were essential to their survival because they triggered the flow of the fluid that had to reach their wings. This experience taught him a lesson he was still talking about 70 years later. What appears appears to be kind and is meant to be kind can be the reverse of kind. So in that example, he didn't know that what his action would cause harm before he did it or even while he was doing it. But afterwards he saw that it caused harm. And then he, he needed to learn and understand why. 
So this isn't about this kind of reflection, the reflecting back, isn't about beating ourselves up. It's really about learning. It's about learning from how we have acted, especially when we see there has been some kind of harm caused. So reviewing, learning how to review our experience. It's helpful to be kind to yourself as you're reviewing your experience. So this kind of reflection we can use in our daily lives. One teacher suggests a kind of a daily reflective practice where she reminds us of four R's. Her name is Annie Nugent. She primarily teaches on the East Coast. And she reminds us to uh, relax first. Then review what happened during our day. Then reflect. Think about our day with respect to the teachings. Think about our day with respect to harm and non-harm. With respect to skillful and unskillful. Review our teachings. Review our day through the lens of the Dharma. And then the fourth R is resolve. If you have seen some action that caused some kind of harm, resolve to try to avoid that action in the future. So the reflection can begin to help us understand how we can become a better person. Again, becoming our own teacher through this practice of reflection. So we can use reflection in our daily lives not simply as a reflection even towards ethical conduct but as a reflection on how are we caught in our own struggles and our own difficulties. Where are we caught and how could our, the Dharma support us more, more skillfully? So there's a lot of different ways we can bring in reflection. One might be, you know, this kind of reviewing, not necessarily reviewing in terms of, okay, did I do anything unskillful or unwholesome in terms of my conduct, but just where did I get caught? Where did I struggle? And how might I approach that in the future with some, some of the teachings? How might I be able to support myself to meet that struggle in the future? So reflection is a skill, actually. We tend to, when we reflect, think a lot and move into our our minds. But what this is asking of us, this kind of reflection, is not to simply stay in our minds, but actually to stay connected with the felt sense of our experience while we're reflecting. So it's kind of like mindfulness bringing up a scenario in our mind, perhaps, and being mindful of how that scenario impacts you in the moment kind of one of the the keys around reflection. 
to connect to how you feel and what you're experiencing while you're thinking about your day. So you could review the day in terms of practice. Where did the practice support you? Where did you struggle? How might the practice have supported you with that struggle? Or you can review the day reflecting on some particular teaching that you're interested in exploring. You might, for instance, be interested in exploring the theme of impermanence or some other teaching and use that theme as a way to reflect through your day. Look back at your day for where did you notice impermanence? How did impermanence manifest? Just to kind of bring, highlight that teaching through a practice of reflection. So these are just a couple of ways to use reflection. And what I'd like to do right now is to um, offer a guided reflection for you so that you can get a sense of what it means to actually think mindfully. Because that is what we're doing here. That's what I'm suggesting with this reflection. To bring up some thought consciously and be mindful while you are thinking. So we'll take just a a couple of moments for you to settle in. Just get into your meditation posture. Settle and connect with your present moment experience. Maybe take a couple of breaths. Allow your mind to relax and let go for just a few moments of thoughts in favor of your felt sense. It's often helpful to begin a period of reflection from a place of quietness. From this place of quietness, the reflection can then drop into that space and you can notice the ripple effect as if you've dropped a stone into a still pool, noticing the ripple effect. So connecting with your body, your breathing. First, I'd like you to bring to mind some time in your daily life when you felt like your mindfulness practice was right there. A situation in which you felt the power of the practice and it really supported you in terms of interacting with your environment or your family or friends. Bring that situation into your mind, allowing yourself to remember what was happening, who you were with, 
can bring that situation to mind in some detail. Reflect on how the practice supported you. What were the circumstances that allowed you to meet this experience with the support of your practice? How did it unfold for you? What mental qualities became apparent and how was your behavior supported? And how does it make you feel right now to reflect on this? So come back from time to time to your present moment experience out of the thinking and connect with how does this process of reflecting impact you now. Now letting go of that reflection, take a couple of breaths, allow yourself to come back into the here and now, into the moment, into your body. Notice how you are right now. No need to change or do anything with how you are right now, just notice it. And now I'd like you to call to mind a time in your daily life when you got caught, you got stuck. A time of particular struggle or stress where you felt like it was very hard to connect with the practice. Recall the situation in your mind. Notice what was happening who you were with, what you were doing and saying. And feel right here and right now how it feels to recall this situation. Notice the impact that this thought has on your present moment experience. Allow yourself to reflect for a few moments about how and when you realized that you were caught or had been caught? Do you notice right in the middle of the situation? Or perhaps even before the situation that you had no power over the momentum of this situation? Or perhaps some hours or days later? Allow yourself to recollect your relationship to the moment you notice you had been stuck. 
and see how that impacts you here and now. And now allow yourself to let go of the situation, the recollection of that situation, and explore the question, how might I have been supported by the Dharma? Are there any conditions that would have supported a bit more mindfulness, compassion, or open-heartedness in the situation? And again, noticing how it impacts you here and now to reflect on this question. Letting go now of that reflection, just coming back to the moment, the present moment. Noticing how you are right now. How is your body? Is there tension or relaxation in the body? Are there any moods or emotions present? No need to try to change anything. Just allow yourself to sit with the impact of having brought these reflections to mind. So how was that for you? Did you get a sense of what it means to think consciously and mindfully, to reflect from this perspective? What did you notice? Anybody willing to share? 
I'm not one to waste time. <laughs> um, so when I was reflecting on the, um, the first one where um, the Dharma served me and, um, you know, I felt, I, I was reflecting on how I felt a connection with my husband and um, with the surroundings and um, it felt very good. It felt kind of heart opening and very rooted, very uh, grounded. And uh, when I reflected on the second scenario where um, there was, um, where there was suffering uh, caused by the thought I had, the situation and the thought that I, the reoccurring thought about it, um, I felt I could feel a physical sensation of, of a contraction and just kind of tension and hunched shoulders and um, in the moment you felt that yes yes okay yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so there was a very a very physical reaction to both types of thoughts yeah yeah so that's that's a great thing to recognize i mean that um, that is the beginning of seeing how you can actually ha- think mindfully i mean you can bring these things into your mind and notice how they impact you so that's that's beautiful so thank you for for reporting that. Yeah, Lauren. For me, for me, it was as though I was re-experiencing what had happened originally. It was very interesting, especially in the first one where there had been some compassion that had surprised me. And it kind of came up again. And um, I think the emotions were there. It felt, it felt very open, very... The compassion came up again. And yes. It came up both uh-huh. physically and emotionally. And I had a similar experience, too, Lane, to the second one, which is sort of this tightness. I felt the tightness of the suffering. Um, and that was, it was surprising because it really was as though it was the same things that had happened originally were arising again, but with a little bit of distance, just being able to see them with a little bit of separation. And so in that, I mean, this is one of the keys to this kind of reflection because bringing up the situation does kind of re- recall you to that place. And you're doing it consciously. And so at that point, you have mindfulness that's with you as you're reflecting. And so it does give you a little space. And maybe the way that you're responding in this moment may be a little bit of a clue as to what you can carry forward. So that's a piece of the reflection, you know, using that reflection skillfully uh, to notice how you're responding now with mindfulness present. And... Can you um, learn something from that? It was hard to answer that question the first time around. And as you um, summed up the reflection, I sort of let the need to have an answer go. Good. (laughs) (laughs) But as you summed up the reflection, then sort of this answer or this series of answers to how I could have used the Dharma more effectively in the second situation seemed just to arise. And that that was kind of interesting, just sort of having let it go and then revisiting it allowed it to arise because there was no effort in it yes and that's another piece of reflection actually you know it's kind of a balance you know what i had asked you to do is to bring up um you know a situation and see what was happening and then i did ask you to reflect you know how might the dharma have supported you and the um you know the the kind of in, in inclination would probably be to try to figure it out how can how you know what tools could I have used? What could I have done? But actually, often it's it's more helpful to just allow that question to just kind of drop in, 
and not particularly need to have an answer, but just allow whatever bubbles up to bubble up. That's actually a whole, uh, a whole reflective practice that sometimes I teach, that just if, if you, you know, I talked about meditating on a theme, for instance, you know, like impermanence or something like that, or uh, compassion, you know, if you are interested in exploring a theme in your life, um, one way to do that is to just put yourself into stillness and silence and then drop that word, compassion, into your meditation. And then don't think about it, but just notice what comes up. And so similarly with this kind of question of how might the Dharma have supported me? There's no need actually to try to figure it out, but to kind of just see what bubbles up. And it sounds like that's what you kind of did in, 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 your, sec, um, in your experience. The other thing that you said that I think is interesting to point to is in the first time, you know, revisiting the feeling, and Elaine pointed to this too, the, you know, the feeling of open-heartedness and rootedness that came. You can revisit that feeling by reflecting on a time when the practice supported you. It's like these, these um, reflections of where the practice supported you can serve as reminders of the actual feeling of those beautiful qualities that were present at that time. So compassion for you, open-heartedness, connectedness. Go ahead, Elaine. Yeah, Um, yeah, actually I wanted to, I I meant to mention this, but one of the ways that the Dharma served me in in creating the first situation was that I, I mean, maybe I'm not supposed to get personal, but I think it's actually helpful to get some some real information about real life. My husband and I don't get along very well. (laughs) So... So, um, you know, so, uh, but, but I want to. So I called up feelings of gratitude and feelings of um, compassion. In that situation before? Bef- yes, uh-huh. before uh-huh. Um, I actually felt, you know, genuine happiness to be with him. And it actually created that in me. That's beautiful. So you essentially used a reflection. Right. To support that situation, right? Yeah, that's and it, great. And it created it. It was quite remarkable. So that's that's a, a great example of use of reflection in your daily life in the moment. Thank you, Elaine. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah, Bill. Um, so I was thinking back to a couple of days ago when I felt criticized, and then I kind of shot back. Impatiently. So what, what could I... And so I, I didn't say the best thing that was possible at all by a long shot. Um, what, so I thought, you asked, what could I have done? How could I have used my practice to uh, improve the situation? So one was to pause before reacting and um, and then in the space of time that uh, created by that pause too, as you were saying just now, to bring in compassion mm-hmm. for the other person. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'd sort of been thinking about this anyway. So I, I had those answers readily to mind. And what I just thought of now is um, that whenever I react 
with anger or impatience or or fear, uh, those feelings are, are are evident in my body. And if I can notice them, if I can notice the contractions in my body before I react verbally, um, that's that's a sure sign that my reaction will not be skillful. Yes. So the thing Uh is to be able to slow uh, time down enough that I can notice those uh, contractions in my body and then say, hold it, Bill. Just hold it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's maybe the best thing, but it's also the hardest for me. It is hard to slow things down. I mean, and in our daily lives... You know, sometimes we don't have the option to slow things down quite as much as we'd like. You know, if we're if we're um, on retreat, for instance, we can really slow things down. But you know, in our daily life, we um, you know we're at work, we're operating at kind of normal speed and having conversations. And um, but there are you know there are tools, and the pause is one of them, and you know some other. Things, but the mindfulness actually, the practice with the mindfulness can begin to. It's like the mindfulness slows time down for us, in a way, you know. So as the mindfulness gets more continuous, um, it's almost as if. Um, well, it's actually I think that that the mindfulness gets faster, so that it picks up more, um, and it it's, it's it's able to respond more quickly. But um, you know, it can kind of feel like things are. Slowed down a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so um, here at IMC, we often distinguish between mindfulness and concentration. Um, uh, do you have a thought? Um, I'm not sure this is even a good question, but do you have a thought on on which is more useful in in uh, in slowing things down so that we can notice how our body's doing? A uh, good mindfulness practice or a good concentration, or, or are they? Both good in well, similar in, ways. In daily life, I think that the joining of the two, which is you know the the concentration um, that comes through the mindfulness being continuous, is the power in daily life, and you know that you're not going to be able to have things slowed down unless the concentration is there with the mindfulness being continuous. But it's not a concentration on just sitting with the breath. It's a concentration that allows the mind to be stable, the mindfulness to be stable through changing experience. So it's a different kind of concentration than often is talked about as, you know, when we talk about concentration practice, we're often talking about mindfulness of breathing and coming into just one-pointed awareness of one object. Um, but the quality of concentration is cultivated as mindfulness gets continuous. I, I hadn't ever before thought of a, a strong or continuous mindfulness practice being a form of concentration practice. That's it is. Nice. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. You can get very concentrated in that. Um, the exercise, some of us were here doing um, a class last night in an exercise of mindfulness out loud where you narrate your experience. Now I'm aware of pressure. Now I'm aware of seeing. Now I'm aware of dryness. Now I'm aware of seeing. Now I'm aware of speaking. Now I'm aware of movement. Now I'm aware of seeing. That just continually saying it over and over again. That's a form of 
continuity that can cultivate the concentration. Uh, that, so that exercise in particular is a way for you to begin to understand how that continuity leads to concentration. And you, you, you can experience a lot of the same kinds of real states of peace, of calm. It's not the, you know, really focused, you know, everything falls away kind of concentration. But it's a very stable place. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, comments about the reflections? I have some more I can talk about. Oh, somebody. Hi. Hi. Um, the second one where, where mindfulness would have helped to bring the Dharma to the situation. Um, what struck me was that in considering that, I this was with the person that wasn't mentally balanced at all. And, um, and my primary reaction at the time was aversion and whatever compassion or empathy I had was very secondary. So in the reflection, the compassion grew, and um, which was nice, but also some of my behavior I don't, I don't like that, that I did, but the reflection gave me compassion for myself also because it was a really difficult situation. And one of the ways I responded that I don't like some part of me probably needed to do that to know that I could physically take care of myself if I really needed to. So it just kind of gave me a little more compassion for that. And, yes. Uh-huh. And for the whole thing, it helped me probably to be less hard on myself, which will, I think, enable me to bring more mindfulness and compassion in the future, hopefully. Right. That's, that's beautiful. That, I mean, that what you describe around you know, bringing in the compassion, not only for the other, but for yourself. I mean, we need to, we need to know when we need to act to take care of ourselves. Um, and, you know, how can we act as skillfully as possible in, in doing that as well. Thank um, you. So I'm glad that you um, have the sense. I mean, the, partly, again, what I'd like to, to point to is like, you know, this is a good kind of reflection to do about things that kind of repeat in your life. You know, if you have a, a pattern that comes back for you, a particular person you interact with where habitually you end up with unskillful speech, this is a good kind of reflection to do. You know, to kind of use this, you know, how could I bring more of the the Dharma into this situation? It may inspire you to move in that direction when you meet that situation in the future. Thank you. So let me just say a couple other words um, about other uses of reflection. Because there's so many different ways that we, we can use thought. This is just one, and it's a powerful one, particularly in our daily lives, of using reflection to think back on our experience, reflect on how we can bring the Dharma to our experience, uh, particularly around places where we habitually get caught. Again, learning how to be our teacher, our own teacher. We can also use reflection and thought skillfully in the meditation itself. And I only have just a few minutes, but I'm just going to mention a couple of a couple of things that you can do. And I actually pointed to one of these in the guided meditation that we did. So 
at times in the guided meditation, I mean in meditation, you may find that if you want to kind of incline your mind in a particular direction, you can ask your mind and body to kind of head that way. Now, it, it doesn't always work, and you kind of need to have a sense of where the mind and body are at a particular time to know um, what kinds of requests the, the, the mind and body can respond to. So, for instance, in the guided meditation, I suggested after you had relaxed the body and relaxed the mind as much as you could consciously, I suggested dropping the thought in, may the body relax, and see what happens. Did any of you in that part of the meditation notice there was a little bit more relaxation that happened? You noticed that? Anybody else notice that? You notice that? You notice that? So a few. And it doesn't always work, but um, it depends on kind of the climate of your mind. If your mind is very agitated, dropping in a request like that is probably not going to do much. But when the mind gets more still, you can, you can simply put a, a kind of a thought into the mind like that. And then you don't have to do it. You can just like, May the body relax and then sit there and see what happens. And, oh, wow, there's a place that relaxed that I didn't even know was tight. May the mind relax. And then there's some kind of feeling of loosening in the mind that you, you didn't even know was there. So you can use requests like this. And they're thoughts. It's a skillful use of thoughts. You could even, for instance, you know, at some point in the practice of you, after you've settled down to a certain point, after you've relaxed the body, relaxed the mind, you could, uh, in, um, in turning your attention towards the breathing, request the attention. May the attention, may the attention rest with the experience of breathing. And then not consciously do that but see how the mind and body responds it's a very interesting way to explore a kind of um, it's, it's essentially using intention it's using a thought as an intention to point the mind in a direction and I found this to be a very interesting exploration in my own practice um, to navigate the meditation with much less of a sense of me doing it. Kind of like, okay, put the request out there and see if the mind and body are willing to go there. So may the, may the attention rest with the breathing. May the body become comfortable and at ease. See what happens. And then another use of thought, of reflection in our meditation practice, and this can be used in our daily lives as well, actually, this kind of bringing in uh, Dharma thoughts, bringing in thoughts of wisdom to help us begin to kind of let go of the way we're attached to things. So, for instance, if you're really caught up in an emotion... Sometimes you can bring in some reflections, bring in some thoughts. For instance, something like, 
And often phrase this question seems to be an interesting way to do this. And again, not to ask the question to think about it or to try to find the answer, but to see what happens as you drop that thought with mindfulness into your experience. So if you're caught in an emotion asking, what's the purpose of this emotion? Or is this emotion necessary? Bringing in some of those kinds of questions. Or there can also be um, direct reflections of wisdom. And this actually is a technique suggested by the Buddha. He suggests reflecting, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am. If you're caught by something, bringing that thought into the mind can sometimes bring a little bit of space around the situation. One version of that thought that I particularly like, it feels a little more at home to me in my mind, is, uh, is one suggested by my Burmese teacher, Sayada Utejaniya. He suggests, this is nature, which to me refers to the fact that this thing that's happening right now, this emotion that has come into being, it's just like a tree that's growing. You know, it's some bush that has come into being because the causes and conditions were there, the seed had been planted, and it was all watered properly, and it grew. There it is. Poof. This is nature. This experience of this emotion, this is nature. That has a great uh, impact in my mind when I bring that thought in. It's like, oh yeah. It's like this. This is nature. So this is a skillful use of thought. It's, it's okay to use this kind of thought in your uh, practice to support the mind being able to stay with, meet experience. And again, it's not so much that we're, we're thinking a lot. It's kind of like dropping in small phrases and then again noticing, okay, and how's my experience now? So coming, keeping coming back, keeping coming back to the felt, the lived experience whenever using any of these kinds of thoughts. And that's all the time we have today. (laughs) So thank you for your attention and your participation.